We come now to the book of Luke, chapter 14. As we enter into here in Luke, chapter 14, we're continuing a discussion that has been going on since verse 1. Jesus was invited, as you may recall, to a banquet, to a dinner, the after-Sabbath dinner at this leader of the Pharisees' house. And Jesus has been there, and there have now been, well, this will be our third and final sermon to this account. Jesus has arrived, he's been invited, and as he comes through the door and they get him seated, he discovers that directly across from him is this man with edema or dropsy. This, this is a man who has some kind of a condition which has caused great swelling uh, in perhaps all of his body, but without a doubt, very obvious parts of his body. He's got this issue. And they now want to see what Jesus is going to do. So Jesus is, is going to heal this guy, and he's going to send him on his way. I mean... Of course, that's what Jesus is going to do. But this sets the stage now. Jesus is going to proceed to try to help these guys to figure out that their view of God and their view of the law of Moses is incorrect. And he's going to use multiple things. He's going he's to give an illustration. He's, he's going to give a parable. And then he's going to tell them a story. And today, we're going to spend time looking at the story, the, the third part of this thing, finally. And so, Jesus is going to, in successively more pointed uh, ways, try to help these guys to figure out what the problem, their problem is. This is instructive. We're taking our time to go through this passage because Jesus is interacting with a hostile audience. These guys may have put on a veneer of friendship, the very fact that the guy invited Jesus. In the ancient world, to turn down an invitation to this kind of event would be insulting. And to invite people, you didn't just invite anybody. You didn't just eat meals with anybody. In the ancient world, to eat a meal with someone was to make a statement. You had invited them to your table. This was something that you would do with your friends or at least not enemies. So the very fact that they're inviting Jesus to sit with them, this is making a statement. Of course, we discover that, um, like everything else, they're hypocritical about this. Yes, they're putting on a veneer of friendship, but the fact is they're not really friends. They've actually invited Jesus there to condemn him. Their entire purpose of bringing Jesus into this particular group and audience, was so that they, in their minds, would have the upper hand. So as we look through this passage, I want, us to, I want us to put ourselves in the place of the Pharisees, to kind of try and enter into the account and to kind of see it from their eyes initially. By the time we get to the end, you're going to see that Jesus has got plenty to say and Ultimately, it's not going to be their eyes that matter, but the eyes of Jesus. So they don't think that Jesus is the Messiah. They know he claims to be the Messiah. They know that that's who he says he is, but they're not at all convinced that he's their Messiah. They do know that the people 
think that Jesus is at least a prophet. Remember when Jesus says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Moses, some say you're Elijah, or, or maybe even John the Baptist raised from the dead, or, well, at least one of the prophets. And, of course, Jesus will say to them, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter will come out with this great confession. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Right. That's, that is who he is. That's his own disciples. The Pharisees, they don't, they don't perceive that. They know what the people think. The people think that Jesus must be at least a prophet. This is a concern of theirs. Jesus is a problem. They can't control him. They can't silence him. Jesus, when he gets up to speak, he gets crowds, big crowds, bigger crowds than they can get. Jesus, he's, they don't know where to put him. He's not one of the Sadducees. And by the way, the Pharisees do not get along with the Sadducees. Remember, the Sadducees are in, are in control of the temple complex. They're in control of the priesthood. They're in control of when you bring sacrifices. Remember, when you brought sacrifices, if you brought your own, they would find some reason to reject that and would make you buy one of their lambs. And of course, when you went to buy their lamb, you could only buy it with temple money. So you had to go to the money changers to get, okay, that all applied to the Pharisees. They didn't get a break. The Sadducees didn't give the Pharisees a break at all. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they did not get along. They argued. Now, they may have all been members of the Sanhedrin, but... Just because you're in the same political body doesn't mean you're all on the same page. Just think of any political body you can think of. There tends to be two parties in there, at least, if not more. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the two parties, and they had vast differences. So Jesus isn't a Sadducee. He condemns them, too. He's not, he's not an Essene. He's not a zealot. So where in the world does he fit in? They don't know. They can't figure it out. So they kind of do this constant, you know, like the moth to the flame, right? They keep flying around Jesus, and they, they, they can't condemn him if they won't interact with him. So they have to interact with him. And they really want to condemn him. They are trying as hard as they can to figure out a way to get something on Jesus. They can look at the law of Moses and... Anytime they've tried, Jesus makes it very clear that he hasn't violated any of the laws of Moses. Because, of course, he hasn't. Their traditions, sure. He violates their traditions all the time. And looks right at them and says, you've substituted the laws of God for your traditions. And then proceeds to blast them for their traditions. So that's not working. So they've now decided that, well, let's get him into a situation where he's not out there with the common people. We're going to isolate him from the common people. We're, we're going to get him away from all those big crowds that he has, or all those people who seem to hang on every word he says, and we're going to bring him into a place where it's just the Pharisees and the scribes who align with the Pharisees. We're going to invite him over to this leadership of the Pharisees' house, and, and then we're going to put this guy in front of him and watch him closely to see what he does. Their desire is to get Jesus hoping that, well, with all of us here, surely he will make a mistake. And he's not going to have the crowd to step in and somehow rescue him. It's just us. And we all are sympathetic with one another and just ready to pounce on Jesus the moment he steps out of line. Maybe Jesus will be intimidated. Maybe he won't perform a healing in front of all of us. Because, well, 
we're professionals. We are the religious professionals. He might be able to fool everybody, but he's not going to fool us. So they bring Jesus into this event. And now they wait to see what Jesus is going to do. Now, they, they know that Jesus will hang around with anybody. They accuse him of that. They go to his disciples. They're like, what is your master doing? I mean, he's eating with the publicans, the tax collectors, the sinners. I mean, what's wrong with this guy? So we're going to invite him to our banquet, and there certainly aren't going to be any tax collectors or sinners, and we're not going to have the lame or the crippled or the poor or anybody. We're not going to have anybody like that here in our banquet, except this one guy that we've invited for a specific purpose. But everyone else is all on the same page. So Jesus accepts the invitation, which is instructional. Jesus knows what he's walking into. There's no doubt exactly what he's walking into. He can read the hearts of all men. He goes in, of course, and he sits down, and there's the guy, and he heals him and sends him on his way. Get him out of here. You know, the bullets are start flying, and you don't need to be a part of this. In fact, go home and tell your family you're, you're healed. You know I mean? This, praise God, you're out of here. It's all good. Jesus isn't intimidated at all. In fact, he looks at him and says, lesson one, how many of you, if your ox or your son falls into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't heal them? So far from being intimidated, far from feeling like, well, because I'm here amongst a bunch of Pharisees who are all looking to condemn me, I better watch what I say. Um, I, Jesus just states the truth. And of course, the truth is that every single one of them would in fact have pulled their ox or their son out of a well. This would have been the moment for them to go, you know, now that he mentions that, Maybe we are just a little too strict with our traditions. Maybe he really does have the, the heart of the thing. I mean, since we really would rescue our son or our ox out of the well. I mean, we would do that. I mean, they can't deny that they would do that. So maybe we should look at this guy who is sick and is drowning in his own fluids instead of the well. And maybe we are wrong here. Maybe, maybe there should be a moment of self-reflection here. Uh, yeah, no, not, not so much. So, does Jesus just leave it there? Uh, no. Jesus then proceeds to watch them as they are all jockeying for the best seats. They're all over there, kind of exactly how that all went is maybe difficult to pin down. But there was clearly a competition for who could get the seats of honor. Probably not fistfights, but some kind of, I mean, they're, everybody knows. There's a game that they're playing, and everyone knows they're playing it. Everyone in attendance knows that the idea is to get yourself in the best seat possible, however you go about doing that. And so Jesus looks at him and says, look at you guys. You claim to speak for God. You, you claim to be the representatives of the law of God and the law of Moses, and yet... You're proud. You're arrogant. You're self-centered. You don't love your neighbor like you love yourself. You're determined to put yourself above your neighbor. You're term determined to elevate yourself at the expense of your neighbor. You don't care about your neighbor just so long as you get the best seat. And who really cares about who gets the seats under you just so long as you get the highest one you can? You esteem yourself above others. That is a direct violation of the commandment to love your 
neighbor like you love yourself. This should have caused them to stop and go, huh, you know, he's got a point there. Again, no such self-reflection. No, no, there's, there's no reaction like that at all. They're, they're over here. The proverb is clear, right? That don't elevate yourself in the presence of the prince lest he come in and put you away from the table that you're at and put you at the lower table. They, they were probably quite well aware of that passage. They just didn't think it applied to them. It should have. And they should have stopped. They should have thought about how they are acting arrogantly and trying to get the esteem of men instead of the esteem of God. Instead, here is the actual response. Next verse. Verse 15. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, he heard about Jesus healing the guy and his, Jesus' response. Well, wouldn't you reach into the well and pull out your ox or your son? He heard Jesus. And by the way, he knew that they did not approve of Jesus' healing. And then he heard about how you should be humble and sit at the lower seat and let someone else elevate you instead of elevating yourself. He heard that. And obviously, he didn't agree with that either. And so he proceeds to say, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And you might think, well, that's kind of a strange response. That, that almost sounds like positive. Uh, not so much. Let me read it to you again. Blessed is everyone who sits in the kingdom of God. Okay, you get, you get the inflection there? This guy is making the point that, hey, we're all the children of Abraham here. Uh, us, you, we're, we are all going to, let's just be clear here. We're all going to be in the kingdom of God. And we are all going to sit and eat bread in the kingdom of God. And when we get there, we're all going to be blessed. And your discussion here about whether or not we should be healing this guy on the Sabbath, who cares? And your discussion about whether or not we should all be humble. We don't have to be humble. Humility doesn't have to do anything with it. The fact is, we're all the children of Abraham. And so, blessed is everyone who makes it to the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. I don't really care what Jesus has said, is basically what he's saying. Note that the man actually connects what Jesus has said up to this point, even though Jesus hasn't really mentioned the kingdom of God. He's mentioned, he's mentioned healing and dragging your ox out of the well. He's mentioned how you should sit at the lower seats if you're invited to a wedding. But he hasn't actually talked about the kingdom of God. That's okay. This guy does. This guy realizes that Jesus is actually talking about the kingdom. Why? Well, because the kingdom of God is likened to a feast. It's, it's like, remember when the, when the elders, the 70 elders went up the mountain initially with Moses and they sat down and they ate a meal before God? And remember, God was above them and there was like this translucent floor where they could see through it and, and see the image of God. And they sat and ate in the presence of God. We are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? This, when you get to the end, this is the angel says to John, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Heaven is often portrayed as a feast. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to eat. By the way, since these bodies are resurrected, you are going to get to heaven and you are going to eat. That's not what this sermon's about, so we're just going to move on. The Passover, you will recall, was a meal, right? And so when we got together for the, the Last Supper, it was a supper, the communion. In the ancient world, they had a meal between the, the two elements. So, and if you're wondering if maybe I've got the guy's view wrong, let's just keep reading. And note the next word, but... Okay, so the guy says, blessed is everyone who is going to make it to the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, but what? But you're actually wrong. And this entire illustration is about how exactly Jesus is going to make it as clear as he can one last time. Guess what? Not everybody is going to make it to the kingdom of God. This guy just said, blessed is everyone. Jesus said, actually, not everyone is going to make it. So he tells them this story. As we go through this story, as it gets going, the Pharisees probably think that this is one of the most ridiculous stories they've heard. Once the story starts unfolding, they're going to be like, this is just crazy. Where could he possibly be going with this? I don't So Jesus starts out with a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. Now remember, they're already at a dinner. And we know that they already jockey for the best positions. So they love to go to feasts. And they love to get seated at the prominent places. So this is a big dinner with many guests. Well, you know, the more guests there are, uh, the greater the opportunity for you to have the honor of men, which is really important to them. Plus, it's a big dinner. And at a big dinner, there's much more variety of food. Whoever's putting this thing on is well-to-do, is going to have a great variety of various meats and fruits and vegetables and drinks. And I, this, is, this is an event not to be missed. I mean, they, they lived for feasts. They saw arriving in heaven. What you did was you feasted. This is, this is going to be a great thing. This is a, this is a big dinner with many people invited. And uh, you, you would accept this invitation. Once this invitation went out, if they came to you and said, hey, would you like to go to this? Oh, yeah. And no one in the right mind would say no. Everyone would say yes. We're going to get invited to a big dinner with a lot of people there. The Pharisees in particular would be like, oh, I can't wait to go to that because I am going to get the top seat. I mean, you just wait. Everyone is going to be so jealous of me with the seat I'm going to get at this big dinner with all kinds of people there. Unless I'm out of the country for some reason, I'm going to be there. So in the ancient world, they obviously did not have, you know, clocks or microwaves or anything else like that, cell phones, you know. So there was always two invitations. There was the initial invitation to talk to the people who were invited and to say, do you plan on coming? And you would say, yes. And so we can get a bead on just how many ox we've got to kill or how many sheep or how many goats or whatever it is we're going to have and just how much food and, you know, just... I mean, lots of people got invited, but, you know, if you somehow can't make it, uh, this is the moment to let us know. So there was always the initial invitation. And the actual time of the feast, well, it's hard to say. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be a week from now. We got to get it all together. 
We've got to first figure out how many people are going to even be there. And don't worry, everyone understood the protocol was you gave your yes, and then you waited with anticipation for the actual moment for the feast to arrive. So everyone's waiting for the second invitation, because the second invitation is the one that really matters. That's the one where someone comes to you and says, OK, I, you know, we, we've got the list here. We know exactly who's going. So we go back out to everyone who's on the list and say, it's, it's time. It's time to, you know, the feast is ready. I mean, we, got, we, we got that ox killed. The, the meat is hot and the drinks are cold. And now's the moment. So come on. OK, so the dinner hour, verse 17, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. So there's your two. It's, it's the two. You got invited, and now you're being informed that this is the moment. But a really interesting thing occurs, a strange thing, just a, a really crazy thing. But they all alike began to make excuses. Excuses? Why in the world would you make an excuse to not go to this event? This is a great event. This is a grand event. This, this is a big feast with lots of folks. I mean, why in the world would anybody make an excuse? This must be, I, I mean, when we get to these excuses, these have got to be some of the most amazing excuses ever. If you're not going to show up to this event, I mean, I don't know, you better have your mother die or something. I mean, it really better be a pretty significant excuse. Uh, no one in their right mind would miss this feast. So we read the first excuse. The first one said to him, well, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. So please consider me excused. Now the Pharisees, we, and he, remember, he's sitting at a feast right now. He's sitting at a table with the room full of Pharisees telling them all this story. All of them would think, that is the most ridiculous excuse I've ever heard in my life. That is, what? You bought a piece of land. First of all, you bought a piece of land sight unseen? Really? How many people like go out and buy land sight unseen? I mean, under extraordinary circumstances, maybe. But on the whole, you really want to go look the thing over. So you just bought a piece of land and you don't want to go out and look at it? You've already bought it and now you want to go out and look at it? That, what? That, that's, that's not a good excuse. Not to mention, do you think the land is going somewhere? I, you think you can't go to this feast? And even if it lasts two days, which it, it might, uh, you think you can't, after the feast is over, go look at your land? I mean, this is, you heard about the guy who his, his neighbor came over and said to him, my lawnmower broke, could I, could I borrow your lawnmower? And the guy looks at him and says, you know, I'd really like to, but my, my kitchen faucet's leaking. I, I, I really don't think I can lend it to you. So the neighbor, you know, just kind of walks away. And the guy's wife looks at him and says, what does a leaky faucet have to do with you lending the guy the, the lawnmower? Says to his wife, well, you know, if you want to say no, one excuse is as good as another, right? Which is the truth. I mean, if you just want to say no, you know, it's, well, that's these people. They just want to say no. What kind, what kind of, and the next one, it's no better. Then another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to go out and try them. Please consider me excused. Okay, there's a number of things going on here. First of all, if you can buy five yoke of oxen, that's 10 oxen. You are a very wealthy person. You mean to tell me you can't, 
You can't control your schedule. You can't work into your schedule an ability to go to this feast. Um, obviously, you can. Plus, okay, you're wealthy enough to buy 10 ox, oxen. 10! And you're going to go out and plow the field? You're going to go plow the field. Is that right? You're going to go out and put yourself behind a yoke of oxen so you can try them all out rather than go to a feast? Insanity. It's just insanity. What a ridiculous excuse to come up with. And, and by the way, the, the account says they all began to make an excuse. He, he just gives us three of them. Now, we do get to the third guy. And the third guy, you know, he might actually have some little bit of reason here for an excuse. He says, well, I, I just married a wife. And, and I, I, I can't come now. I, you know. I mean, when you invited me, I was single. And now I'm married. And, you know, my wife put her sandal down. And that's it. I, I, I'm now handpacked. And so I, I don't get to make any of the... I don't, the food decisions are just out of my hands now. I, I, I can't make it. The fact is, if this guy wanted to, particularly in this culture and society... Um, so sorry to say it, but one of the things the Pharisees prayed every day was, thank you, Lord, I'm not a Gentile or a woman. They actually prayed that. They were quite misogynist, and uh, in fact, they, uh, uh, they absolutely thought that, you know, they were superior. So he could have simply gone, right? So the slave comes back. Now, by this point, the Pharisees are like, where is he going with this? This is the craziest thing we've ever heard. The guy throws this huge feast, and everybody starts making excuses. So the slave comes back and reports to his master, and the head of the household became angry. And the Pharisees would have gone, yeah. I mean, no kidding. That, they're identifying with the head of the household. You can imagine them as they hear this story unfold. They're like, well, yeah. If I were the guy putting on this feast, if this were me, and I went through all the trouble... And without a doubt, I would be angry with all of these people who are making all these crazy excuses as to why they can't come to my feast. Jesus, however, who, by the way, is not trying to lead them into some kind of you know, trap here. He's trying to get them to understand God's perspective on their actions. Obviously, which... I'm sure you put together, and they will shortly put together, that the guy who's throwing the feast is God. And the people who are making the excuses are them. They haven't figured that out yet, but they're about to. But it's, Jesus wants them to put themselves in God's place. God has done all of this stuff for you guys. The kingdom of God is in your midst. John the Baptist has shown up. Jesus has shown up. Here's your moment. You've been invited to the feast. You're going to come? Hmm. So then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The Pharisees would have gone from, yeah, to What? I mean, in the matter of one sentence, they would have gone from, yep, I, I huh? You got to be kidding me. Of all of the remedies of this situation, of whatever it is you might do to 
I don't know, um, call it off, postpone it, something. Do, there's got to be something you could, the last thing that would have ever been on any of their minds is this. This is not what they would have done. Reschedule it, find a different time, do something. But this? This? Wow. This is completely not on their radar. This is not what they would do. There is no way they would do this. But there's a point being made. The table is set. The guests have been invited, and we're going to have the meal. It's going to go forward. This is going to happen. And if you don't want to come, we'll get to that in a minute, um, we are going to have guests arrive at this. So go out there and invite the poor and the cripple and the lame. People the Pharisees would never invite. In fact, they condemned Jesus for hanging around with these people. Even though Jesus just got done saying to the leader, when you throw a feast, don't invite all your friends because they're just going to invite you back and then you won't get any reward in heaven. But invite, Jesus just got done telling him, invite the poor, the lame, and the crippled because they can't repay you and then you'll have great reward in heaven. He didn't take that advice, by the way. Jesus gave it. But this person, whoever this person is, that's giving this, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to do exactly what Jesus said. Going to invite the poor, the lame, and the crippled. These are the Jewish people in the city, uh, which is what he says. Go out into the city and go find them. Go out into the streets and the lanes. Go, go run around in this city until you find these people who are the poor and the lame, the, the, the beggars, those who can't provide for themselves, those who are, are street people because they don't have the, the means or the resources or for whatever's happened to them, illness, injury, uh, something has occurred so that they can no longer provide for themselves. Go out and get them, bring them in here, and I'm going to give them my feast. I mean, it's not like they don't need it. It's not like they're, they, they certainly could use the meal. There's no doubt about it. There's no welfare system here. There's, there's no safety net in place. You, if you were injured and you couldn't work, you were literally thrown on the mercy of whoever walked by. Now, you just kind of sat there and hoped that someone would, would literally take pity on you. There was no official means by which you were taken care of. Remember the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was just left at the door of the rich man because he was rich and hoped to just get some of the crumbs that fell off the table. I was hoping that this guy will take some pity on me. Okay, the person who's giving this banquet, since the people who invited him won't show up, he went on and got all of them. You would think it, for the Pharisees it couldn't get any worse. Oh, oh, it does. The slave said, Master, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. This must really be one enormous feast, right? You just went out into the city and you got everybody who was homeless. Everybody who was begging, all of the beggars. All of the people who didn't have the means, the, the blind, the cripple. I mean, you brought them all in here and you, and you still haven't filled the place. So the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges where people are sleeping in the bushes and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Now, the people in the city, for the, virtually all of them are going to be Jewish. They live in the city. 
Israel is an occupied country ruled by the Romans. The people out on the highways and sleeping in the hedges, you know the reason why they're out there on the highways and sleeping in the hedges is because they're not welcome in the city, because they're not Jewish. These are the Gentiles. These are the people who are so bad off, we won't even let them in the city. You're not standing in my house. There were no official inns, and the only inns there were were places of ill repute, places where crooks and they were dens of thieves and robbers, and there were places no one in their right mind would want to spend the night. So that's why you slept in hedges. Jesus is like, go out and get them. Go out and, go out and get the Gentiles. Go out and get anybody who looks like they could stand to have a meal and get them in here. Compel them. They're going to say, oh, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not really welcome in the town. I mean, I'm, un, I'm a Gentile. I'm, I'm unclean. I don't, really? I, should I come to this event? Compel them. Make them come in. The invitation is open to all, to everyone. Except... Verse 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. This is where grammar matters. And you know more about grammar than you think you do. You might immediately think, okay, I can tune this out. Don't tune this out. This, this, this is essential. Jesus has been saying, you know, they and them and a certain man and Third person, right? This is all kind of the, those out there. But this, this right here, this is you and I. First and second person. This applies to us, right? This is, this is Jesus looking at his audience, and he's no longer talking about they and them and some hypothetical group of people somewhere far out there that, you know, oh, no. He's talking about you guys seated here at this banquet and my dinner. That's what he says. I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. I tell you, you're not going to taste of my dinner. At this point, it all suddenly, the light bulb comes on. Oh my, Jesus is making a clear claim of deity. Now, know what's being talked about is the kingdom of God. The guy has already said, blessed are those who make it to the kingdom of God and partake of that feast. Jesus just called that feast my dinner. Who in the world gets to say that? Only God gets to say that. Jesus just stated to them, I'm God, it's my dinner, and oh, by the way, none of you are going to be there. That's what he just said to them. As we look at the progress, as we look at how Jesus goes about interacting with a hostile audience, this is how this goes. We are moving into a world, which I'm sure you're aware of, that is becoming more and more hostile to us, more and more hostile to the truth. Jesus is in a hostile audience. He continues to speak truth. He continues for as long as they'll listen to him, by the way. He... he in successively more pointed illustrations and stories makes it hopefully more and more clear to these guys, your view on these things is just not right. You don't understand the law of Moses. You don't understand the heart of God. You don't understand the spirit of the law. You guys are just heartless 
And by the way, the offer of the kingdom is right here in front of you. You are being invited to the banquet, God's banquet, this marvelous banquet with a lot of food and many people, and you're invited. And guess what? Every one of you are now starting to, you're all just making excuses. And by the way, the ridiculous excuses, just so you know, your excuses are just of no value whatsoever, just like the people in the illustration. And so I want you to know, Jesus is telling them, you continue down this road and they're confirmed in this road and they will, in fact, continue down this road. He says, I'm here to tell you, none of those people who refuse the offer of the kingdom when it was there are going to have a chance to taste of my dinner. Here's the offer of the kingdom of God. Here, you all, they all have a theology in which they understand that the, the banquet of the kingdom of God is what they want to make. And the guy has already said, well, everyone who makes it to, the, to the eat bread in the kingdom of God is going to be blessed. And Jesus is making the point, guess what? You guys aren't going to make it. Those who were invited, not everyone who's invited is going to make it. You got the invitation. You got it from John the Baptist. You got it from Jesus. You got it from his disciples. You heard repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You heard the message. That was the invitation. This is the moment. You've known all along that the kingdom of God was going to be coming. It's here. And this is the moment. What are you going to do? And one by one, they start making excuses. Jesus is just looking at them like, it's you. It's you. You're just making excuses. This was the day of repentance. This was the day of salvation. This was the day for them to do the right thing. Just as it would be absolutely ridiculous for anyone to turn down this invitation to this, to this feast, which they knew and they would have identified initially with the master. As it unfolds, they suddenly realize he's talking about us. He's... he's He's insulting us. Well, he's not necessarily insulting you so much as he's just giving you the truth. Do you understand? God is being gracious to you. He's invited you to his kingdom. He's invited you to the banquet. Instead of taking it, you're offering excuses. This is the day. This is the day of salvation. This is the moment. If you're in the sound of my voice, <laughs> today's the day. The grace of God does not last forever. You cannot take advantage of the grace of God. Don't sit around and say, well, one of these days. One day, you know, when I'm old and decrepit and lying on my deathbed, then I'll, then I'll give my life to God. Until then, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Uh, you, may never, you may never get to that. These guys thought they had plenty of time and thought they could take advantage of the grace of God. Don't ever take advantage of the grace of God. It's grace. Not owed. God will give his grace as he chooses to give it. And should God choose to withdraw his grace, it's God's to withdraw. If you have obligation to grace, it's no longer grace. So God is not obligated to be gracious to anyone. This is the moment. This is the moment. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that we would once again renew our determination to be faithful and true to you. We look at the blindness of the Pharisees and it's, it's disturbing. 
These guys should have so clearly seen the truth, and yet they were just so blind. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to open the eyes of our society and our world, and that we, like Jesus, would be able to speak truth. That we would, as long as they will listen, find more and more creative and more and more pointed ways to make it clear to our world the only way of salvation is Jesus. The only way to get there is to trust what he did, not ourselves. Give us boldness. Give us wisdom. Give us drive to get this message out and to work for the night may be coming when none of us will be able to openly do it anymore. Use our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.